0: in our series called Triggered that we just started. It's, a, it's our relationship series that we, we typically do a relationship series in February. Uh, if you were here last year, we did a series called um, Love is a Battlefield. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what love is, right? It's a fight. Uh, if we're gonna fight for relationships in our life, um, it's something that needs to be a priority in our life. And so this year we're calling it Triggered. And uh, the, uh, the, the plan for the month is that these first three weeks that I'll be sharing and then the last week of the month uh, my good friend Pastor Unique Mackey is going to be here to cap off our relationship series uh, the fourth week. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great month. And each week is going to build on the, on the previous week. I'm going to kind of intro the series today and kind of set it up for you. And uh, we'll, we'll build on it next week. So you don't want to miss any week this month. If you can't be here, you can watch online. Uh, but, uh, but take part in it because I think it's going to be really great, challenging, and a blessing for each one of us. Okay, so my text is out of Ecclesiastes 4. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, as we read God's word together. Chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Uh, This is the King Solomon wrote this this book, and it was towards the end of his life when he realized that there's a lot of stuff that we pursue that's not really worth pursuing. And uh, this, this passage kind of reiterates some of that as well. So starting in verse 8. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? I think that's very interesting that he's wealthy and has everything he could want, but he says he's given up pleasure in his life. It all is so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken, praise God. The title of my message today is Worth the Fight. Uh, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do love you today. We thank you for being with us this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would do your work in our lives today. Lord, I'm just up here as a vessel. My words mean nothing, but your words can change our lives. So I pray that my words would be your words today and that you would open our hearts, Lord, as our hearts are open, that you would plant this seed and that you would do the transforming work that you always are faithful to do in our lives. Help us to receive today what you have for us in Jesus' mighty and precious name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. All right, so I'm going to say on the front here, so you guys know, you can't say you weren't warned. I'm going to step on your spiritual toes a little bit today, okay? Uh, but I, I'm doing it because I care, and I love you guys, and I love this church, and I love the people, and I believe that you're not just here for a performance. I believe you're here because you want to be more like Jesus. And uh, so if that's the case, we need to we need to pursue him, and sometimes that involves also uh, seeing where we are falling short, too. So uh, this is not an accusatory sermon. In fact, if, As I was preparing it, I felt like I was preaching it to myself, and uh, so I'm gonna share it with you guys as well today, but I I do believe you're gonna be blessed too. Uh, So we we started this series today called Triggered, and Triggered, most of you probably are familiar with this word. It's a word that's being used quite a bit in society now, and um, it's just a word used to describe kind of a, a visceral response that you might have to something that someone else does or an event that happens in your life that is reminding you of something that happened previously that was upsetting or traumatic, And uh, it triggers you to feeling like you did back in that moment, in that time of of your life. Um, One great example that that we're always confronted with each year uh, on July 4th is when people will talk to us about uh, when we do fireworks, not here at the church, but anytime there's fireworks, um, to just be mindful of military vets when it comes time to do fireworks, because many military vets have been in a war zone, have been in a place where Bombs are being thrown, missiles are being sent out, and all kinds of machine gun, and there's a lot of noise. And the, the noise of a firework, an innocent firework, can trigger them into remembering and feeling like they were back where they were when that happened when they were in this war zone. So we're always asked to be mindful of that, and that's a very, very valid thing and, and uh, something we should take very seriously for those that may have PTSD or have been through things like that. But in relationships, it's like that as well. We can, you can have a friend that you're talking to, and that friend could say something, Maybe poking fun a little bit, just having a good time, saying something innocently enough, but it reminds you of something that happened back here that was traumatic for you or it was very upsetting, and you become triggered. And you respond to this person in a way that's, you know, this person would consider overreacting or not even knowing where it was coming from. But, it, but for you, it was something that triggered something that happened in your life back in the day. It's very easy to get triggered in life. And how many of you know that, that the, the place we probably get triggered the most in our life is in relationships, because that's usually where. The majority of our pain comes from too. The majority of our upsetting moments in life are through relationship. And so it's easy to get triggered. The the thing about being triggered, though, is triggered is a reaction. If I'm being triggered, it means I'm reacting to something you've done. And even though it's impossible to never be reactive or to react in a situation, the idea is for us as we grow, especially in our faith, is that we wouldn't always be reactive, but we would actually respond. We are called to respond to situations that come our way, not react, because reacting is a visceral, it's an emotional reaction. Responding is more about being prepared for those things that may come in our life. It's about uh, making sure that we are preparing ourselves. we are living in such a way when when those things come into our life, we can respond the way that uh, the Lord would want us to respond in our life. So this is, that's the idea behind this, this, uh, this whole series that we're doing this month. And uh, you know, if you look closely at the text verse that I read, if you were paying attention, you could probably find yourself in one of three places in this verse. There's, there's three different scenarios kind of in this verse that are kind of, uh, that come out as you read it. First, the first scenario is the person that lives to work and make wealth. It says this guy had been living his life to acquire wealth and just get things and uh, kind of was all alone because didn't really have time for relationships, just focused on their work or on their career or on their education, whatever it was, they had goals that didn't involve relationship and maybe that's been you in your life maybe you've kind of you got sick of relationships or you're just not really prone to having a lot of relationships and and let me just say this this series this is not about marriage or dating okay that's that's one aspect of relationship but we're talking about any relationship that we have with family friends coworkers strangers and and husband or wife kids all of those things uh, so this isn't just about about marriage but it's about any relationship we can be in so Some of you might be in that place where you've just not really focused much on relationships. Some of you might be to the place where this person got, where he said, it was obvious he was completely discontent. He said, who am I working for? That's a rhetorical question he's asking. He's saying, why am I doing all of this? Why have I spent my life just working to make money or achieve my goals, and I'm all alone? Why am I doing that? Maybe some of you are there in life, And maybe some of you are at the third place where it was the person that actually did believe and does believe that two are better than one. That relationship is meant to be a blessing in our life. That we can help each other in relationship and that we work hard at relationships and and we go deeper than just a superficial level. We're not just living on a surface level in our relationships, but we're actually willing to go deep and be there for each other because relationships are meant to be a blessing. You probably find yourself in one of these three places and whichever one it is, you know enough to know that we have to fight to have good, biblical, healthy, growing, solid relationships. It's a fight. And it's a fight forever in our life. And uh, some of us have given up on relationships. Maybe you've been triggered one too many times and you've just said, forget it. I'm just gonna focus on myself and on my goals in my life. And you've kind of given up. And my prayer for you today is that this would encourage you and challenge you that it's worth the fight. Relationships are challenging if we're willing to go to the depths and to the levels that God would want us to, but it is absolutely worth it in our life. And you might say, well, why is it? I feel like I'm better off if I'm by myself or if I just do kind of stay superficial. Why is it such a big deal? What does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with my faith? What does this have to do with the kingdom of God? I mean, preacher, you're always telling us that everything's about the glory of God. Everything's about the kingdom of God and and living to further God's kingdom and live for Jesus and, and want to help advance his kingdom. What does this have to do with that? Well, I am really glad you asked that because I feel like I have a good answer for that because this has everything to do with the kingdom of God. Everything to do. The kingdom of God is built on relationships. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you're somebody that's given your life to Jesus and you've accepted the forgiveness of your sins and you've you've purposed to live your life to honor him, the reason you are doing that is because of a relationship you had with someone who told you about Jesus. Everything in life is about relationship, including the kingdom of God. The Bible says, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that we reflect the glory of God. So even our life is about the glory of God, right? Well, the glory of God reflecting from us is so that it is seen by other people that we are in relationship with. You don't have to reflect the glory of God to the trees. The trees don't care. The reflecting the glory of God is about, is about the relationships that God gives us in our life reflecting his glory so those people can see it too, and we can all honor and love Jesus, and the kingdom of God is furthered, and it is expanded, and it is glorified through our relationships. So it is very, very important for us that we are intentional about relationships, and we don't just coast through and take it as it comes and hope for the best in all of our relationships, but that we are incredibly purposeful and intentional in those relationships, that they would glorify God, and that they would be a blessing. Because they are also for your enjoyment. The guy, the, the writer in Ecclesiastes says very clearly, he says, why am I giving up so much pleasure? There's pleasure in relationships. We know that, right? There's, friendship is, is fun. Marriage is fun. Having kids is fun, usually. Uh, no, all the time, my children. I know a couple of them are in here, so... Uh, Relationship is a lot of fun. There's pleasure, and that's God's plan for it. You might say, well, that hasn't been my experience, but, um, and if you feel like you are just happier, kind of staying superficial, not letting anybody in, can I tell you today that that is a fraudulent happiness that you're living. It It is very temporal, it will not last, and frankly, it's built on pain that you have from the past. We cannot allow the pain from our past to determine how we're going to approach relationships in the present and the future because we're, we're falling right into the enemy's hands if we do that in our life. Because you see, most of us in here and listening would pretty much agree that there are two realms of reality in the universe, right? There is a spiritual realm and there is a physical realm. And they are both very, very real and very, very active and powerful. The spiritual realm is the one we can't see. It's the demons, it's the angels. We don't see them, but we know they're real and they're there. The Bible talks very explicitly about them. It's also God of self is part of the spiritual realm. Jesus said that, that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is a spirit, he's part of the spiritual realm that we can't really see, but we know is active. We know that God is working in the earth, we know that he is working in us through his spirit living in us. His, the power of God is here in our life and on this earth to heal, He's here to restore. He's here to reclaim what was stolen. He's here to save. He's here to glorify himself. He's here to sanctify us. He's here to set us free. He's here to, to work in us and through us. Amen? And the spiritual realm is incredibly real. And he wants to, his, his plan for us is that spiritually, that he would gift us even with relationships. Relationships are spiritual and practical and physical and it's a gift from God to be able to have relationships. Any relationship we have is meant to be a gift. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the book, in Genesis two, God makes Adam, and he looks at him and he says, it's not good that he's alone, it's not good. I'm gonna give him a gift, basically, of someone else, a companion, and I know we always use this in weddings, you hear that verse all the time in weddings about relationships, but it's not just husband and wife, people are not meant to be alone, period. In fact, being in solitary is an is a inhumane torture in prison. You know, most places don't even allow it anymore because it's so inhumane to have someone be in solitary confinement for a length of time because we are not meant to be that way. We're not meant to live alone. We're not meant to be in isolation. We're meant to be in relationship together. And if it is a gift from God, then we know that any gift from God, anything that's good that is from God is also going to be on your enemy's radar. It's also going to be something that he's going to target in our life. He's not going to sit by and allow you to have healthy, functional, godly relationships and just go, well, I'm hoping for the worst for him, but I guess we'll just let him go. He's going to attack it. And if you're in in any kind of relationship, you know that. He attacks marriages. He attacks parent-kid relationships. He attacks families. He attacks relationships with bosses, with coworkers, with neighbors. Neighbors will fight so much. They have TV shows now dedicated just to showing squabbles between neighbors. The enemy is always working against us in our relationships. And we need to understand that there is a spiritual aspect to every relationship you have on this earth. And you need to understand it. And it is worth the fight. It's also a very practical side to relationships. The Bible itself is very spiritual and very practical. It gives us all kinds of practical insights in how to live our life as well as spiritual implications and applications to our life. And relationships are about both. They're about the spiritual and the practical. We know this because we know prayer alone is not going to make you give you good relationships. If you just pray and don't do anything practical to walk out your life, you're not gonna have good relationships. You know how I know that? Because some of the most praying, church-going folk in all the world are some of the worst at relationships. Why is that? Because that's not enough. Prayer is not enough alone in relationships. It's important but it's not by itself, in and of itself, a solution to making sure that our relationships are doing well in our life. You cannot neglect the practical and just focus on the spiritual. I'll illustrate it with a story. Um, About a week ago (laughs) yesterday, last Saturday, middle of the night, it was Saturday morning early, about a little after one in the morning, I was dead asleep, I was in REM sleep. Joy wakes me up and says, hey, your phone's ringing. I was like, boy, this better be good. I better won the lottery or something. And, <laughs> and I didn't win the lottery because it was a tenant of mine. I have a, I have a couple rentals from my uh, previous life and uh, I have a tenant that was calling me, young guy, about 1.15 in the morning. He says, hey, uh, bad thing here. The, there's water coming in from the ceiling into our master bedroom and um, I don't know what it's causing it and I can't stop it. And uh, I know enough to know the water heater's in the attic in this property. And so I said, you, you gotta go out to the street and turn off the water at the road. You know, the open up the meter and turn the little thing. and So I'm on the phone with him and he runs out to the road and he's like, I can't find it, I can't find it. And I'm trying to tell him where it is. I said, you know, it's probably under some pine straw, you gotta move some stuff around, can't find it. I'm on the phone with him for a good five minutes. He's like, finally he's like, basically gave up. He's like, I'm sorry, I just can't find it. So I knew I had to get up, get dressed and fly to this, this property. And uh, I knew I had about eight minute drive to get there. So I'm thinking, man, water's just pouring and I got, it's gonna be pouring for another 10 minutes. So as you can imagine, I get out on the road and um, I'm in a hurry and there's only one other car on the road and it just happens to be a policeman. And he, he had the nerve to pull me over. And, <laughs> and he came up to my car and he said, where are you going in such a hurry? And I, I, I profusely apologized. I said, officer, I am so, so sorry. I said, I promise I'm a law abiding citizen. I said, but, <laughs> but I have a property that's flooding as we speak. And uh, praise God for a very gracious and generous policeman that let me go. Uh, but he did hold me there for a couple minutes while he checked my license. And uh, I was hoping he'd give me a police escort, but he didn't. And uh, so I finally get there, and uh, we turn the water off and, you know, assess the damage. It's pretty rough, but uh, praise God, I'm an ex-contractor, so we can get it taken care of. But it could have been a lot worse. There was plenty of damage, but not as bad as it could have been. Uh, the water heater actually exploded in the attic, of all things, but... So uh, anyway, I tell that story to tell you, if I was to tell you that story and I said, you know, when this guy called me, I was laying in my bed under the covers, I was nice and toasty and warm, and I was like, you know, I'm comfortable here. Um, I'm not gonna go, I'm gonna have faith that God's gonna fix this leak. And in Jesus' name, we pray that that leak would stop. We're not even gonna say the name water leak because we're not gonna give authority to it. We're not gonna (laughs) believe in that. I don't believe in water leaks. I serve a God that's greater. He's above all the water, right? And if I told you that I did that, this would probably be your last day at New Hope. Because you'd think I was an absolute something, right? That if I say, my wife would be mad at me today, so. But we don't do that because there's the spiritual, but there's also the practical. And see, you would never expect somebody to do that when in the situation of a water leak, but we do it all the time in our relationships. Oh God, oh God, I pray you'd bring me a wife. Lord, I pray you'd bring somebody to me that's gonna love me for who I am. They're gonna love me quirks and all. And they're just gonna overlook all that other stuff and they're just gonna be perfect fit for me and they're actually gonna help me in those quirks. Good luck, bring them. And you just sit tight and wait for that wife to come rather than actually working on yourself and making yourself somebody that somebody would want to marry. We do it all the time, all the time. We don't say it out loud, but that's the mindset. God, I need you, need you to bring someone. If someone says, well, actually you need to work on these things, then that triggers us, we get mad. I shouldn't have to work on myself. God's just gonna help me, right? Or if it's something where we say, Lord, I need, please, I pray that my kids would honor me, that they would respect me like they're supposed to. I'm their parent. I need them to respect me, Lord. Make, change their heart, change their mind. Make sure they respect me. When your kids are seeing you consistently disrespect people that you get frustrated with or dishonor people in your life, you're complaining about your parents, their grandparents to them and expecting them to respect and honor you when we're not really willing to do the practical part. Or if it's your boss, you know, God, give me a new boss. My boss is mean to me, he doesn't like me. I need you to change my boss, get rid of him, get me somebody else, when you're the one showing up late and making your boss's job more difficult. Rather than work on ourselves, we'll just over-spiritualize it. And we know that that's ridiculous because there's the spiritual and there's the practical. Now, we also can't just be on the hard work practical side either. Because if we do that, and we don't invite God into our relationships, invite him to give us wisdom and discernment in relationships, What happens is you're working really hard, but what you find is there's this cyclical action that happens in your life where about every couple years or so, you're finding yourself in the exact same place in your relationships, whether it's your friendships, dating relationships, whatever it is, where you find yourself, keep coming back to this, you can't keep friends because after about a year, you wear them out and they end up leaving or something gets strained or whatever, and you can't figure this out and you tell yourself, this is never gonna happen again, this time I'm gonna do it different and better, and you end up at the same place. Chances are you're not allowing God to come into that relationship. You're not inviting him in and asking him to actually help you and give you what you need in that relationship. We need both. And the enemy wants us to think that God just doesn't care about all that stuff. That it's just we just need to work hard and do our thing and the rest will figure itself out. No, God cares so much. Everything about the kingdom of God is about relationship. I mean, the reason he came to this earth and died on a cross for you and for me was so that we could have relationship with him. It was all about relationship. It's so we could get away from religion and actually know our God. If he wants us to know him, how much more does he want us to know everybody else and to really be in healthy relationships together? And the enemy would want to destroy that. That's exactly what his plan is. And I wanna suggest to you today that we as a church, and I'm not talking about New Hope, I'm talking about the Western church, we've lost our way when it comes to biblical, godly, healthy relationships. And partly is because we've lost sight of at least half of the purpose of relationships. There's some of us that focus just on the spiritual, and we just pray for everything and don't really do anything or ever work on ourselves. And then there's the, the other half where some of us just work real hard on relationships, but we're not really submitting them and surrendering them to God and let Him be in those relationships. You know that verse I read in Ecclesiastes, that says two is better than one, and at the end it says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And there's a lot of people that say that that's a reference to bringing God into your relationships, bringing Jesus into it to help you in those relationships, whether it's with your wife, your husband, or your kids, or your friends, or your boss, whoever it is, but allowing him to come in makes it even stronger than if we just do it on our own. And when we look at the word, I believe that the early believers had a great concept of this. You see, we need a revelation of how much we really do need each other. We need constant revelation of that, because you may have had it at one point, and it just kind of wanes over time. We have to continually remind ourselves how much we really do need each other if we're going to be living a godly biblical life, and I think the early church really had a good understanding of that, and there's a passage that that shows how they were reacting or how they were living, I should say, and how they were relating to each other in the early church, and I want to read it, and and as I read it, I'm going to highlight the places where there's a a practical uh, aspect and where there's a spiritual aspect. And you could see how they used both and it worked together to help them in their community. Acts 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. So that was spiritual. The teachings, that was the word of God. And to the fellowship, which is, which is practical. To the breaking of bread, which is practical. And to prayer, which is spiritual. So you see they're doing spiritual and practical together. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That's spiritual and practical on those. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's practical. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Again, more practical application. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Practical again. Praising God, spiritual, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, and that was spiritual. You see how there's the practical and there's the spiritual, that they were making sure they were doing both in their relating to one another. And they had commitment to each other that we see in this passage that today makes us kind of scratch our heads, because their level of commitment was off the chart. When you look at that and you see, wow, that's how the early church was acting. I mean, even those of us who fully believe and are given to relationships know that this is another level. What they were doing here, and you may even think it's too much. You may think, "Well, that was a different time. It's a different culture today. We don't, we can't even live that way today." And there's aspects of that that's true that we don't live some of the same ways. But there's some of that that we could definitely do that I think we're probably uh, struggling and downright failing at in some ways. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Are we devoted? Are we devoted to the teachings of the word? Are we making sure that we're living our life according to what the word says in our relationships and not going by what society says or, or even just popular opinion, but really letting the word determine how we live out our relationships? It says they were breaking bread and praying together in each other's homes. That's a, that's a lost art. The idea of having people in your home and having a meal is, is, uh, is very, very rare nowadays. We don't do that. And, and it's interesting because that there's something intimate about coming together in someone's home and being able to have a meal together. I mean, you can, yeah, you can eat out and have a meal at a restaurant together and talk, but it's, there's so much more opportunity and intimacy when it's in a home. And that's frankly, that's why a lot of us stay away from that because we know that there is an intimacy there that in some ways makes us uncomfortable. But it's what God has called us to In fact, it says in the Bible to be, practice hospitality, to be, to be hospitable to other people, to make sure that we are opening our home. Our home is a gift from God and opening it to make sure we're building that relationship and we're going past just the shallow, superficial level. You can have a lot better conversations with people when they're in your home than you can when you're in a restaurant. And that's exactly what the early disciples were doing, the early church. And then they were sacrificing to meet each other's needs. They were rallying for each other. I mean, it's not even on, on a lot of radars to even think about sacrificing for somebody else in their need. You know, I mean, if I, if I give you 20 bucks and it does, it's not really a sacrifice to me, fine, but what if I had to... Sell my car so that I could help you pay for a mortgage payment or something. I mean, that would be outrageous today. We'd be, look like no one does anything like that, right? And I'm not suggesting we do that, but I'm just saying there's a there's an aspect where if we're going to live biblically in our relationships, sometimes there's a more of a sacrifice than just you know helping somebody move, which is very very nice, but there's more to it than that too. It's physical and it's spiritual, and all these physical and spiritual things are happening among this early church and then you get to the last line of my passage which is beautiful it says that he was adding to their number daily those who were being saved see i'm i'm simple and naive enough to believe that the bible is very very intentional in everything it says and that that wasn't just something that was just i will just throw that in at the end of that passage it's very intentional I believe that there is an aspect of the fact that they were, the reason that the, the the Lord was adding to their number and making the church grow, which is basically another way of saying people were getting saved a lot, was because these people were living relationships the way God had intended it. That they were living out the relationships and God was honoring that and blessing that and causing other people to see it. It doesn't say it here, but it's obvious if they were living that way, others saw it. They're like, man, that. That church over there, those Jesus followers, they're really doing it. I wanna, I gotta see what's going on here. And they come into their circle and next thing you know, they're giving their life to Jesus too because they're seeing this is something we all want. This is something we all desire. This is the way it's supposed to be. And so people were coming to Jesus because of the way that they were having and doing relationship in their life. Now, here's the thing. I I know all of us probably want people to get saved, right? We all want it. I mean, some of us don't necessarily feel like it's our responsibility to really be part of it, but we actually, and I disagree with that completely. I believe it's every one of our our responsibilities. In fact, my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. So it's not just the job of the pastor to get people saved or, or ministers or super spiritual people. It's anyone who loves Jesus is meant to be a witness for him in their life. But even if you don't take on that responsibility, at least you're happy when somebody does give their life to Jesus. When I stand up here and say, somebody got saved last week at church, Nobody's sitting there thinking, man, I really wish that person was gonna have eternal torment. You know, we're not, we're not sadistic, right? We like it when people get saved. And so have you ever considered the fact or the thought that maybe the reason we're not seeing the church at large grow and it actually seems to be declining in our society, maybe part of the reason for that is because the people in the church are not doing relationship well. Because we're not doing it the way the Bible shows us how to do it because we've become maybe too self-involved, maybe too shallow, maybe too hurt, and we've been triggered too many times, and so we're kind of avoiding it. And because of it, the church, the, the society looks at the church and says, nah, they're not really doing it any better than I'm doing it. What do I need? Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that relationship is what draws people to Jesus. What draws people to Jesus is his love and understanding that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Okay, But God uses people. He's using people every day to further his kingdom. And he wants to use us. And I believe that the church is at large is failing at relationship in many ways. And we're seeing the impacts of it in our society. Now, don't think for a second that because the early church was growing like this, that all these early church people were just sitting around singing Kumbaya all day and just getting along perfectly. As long as there has been time in humans, there has been place for bickering and squabbling and offense and getting upset with people. Just don't, because you can read this and think, man, you know, they were just, they were probably just holding hands all day and just like, this is the greatest thing ever. And there was never any difficulty or any fights. I promise you, they were fighting. I promise you, they were getting upset with each other at times. I mean, you, again, go all the way back to the beginning of the book. God makes Adam, then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. He makes Eve and Adam. It took Adam about 10 minutes to go from wow to she did it. It's that woman you gave me, Lord. why did you do that? Right? I mean, literally. And so don't think that just because these people were, this was the beginning of the church that everybody was like, Woohoo, oh what, you, you smacked me in the head? That's great. Do it again. You know? There was plenty of opportunity, but they didn't allow that to, to stop them. They didn't allow that to break their community, or to break down the fellowship that they had together. They knew that it was worth the fight. So, what I believe about the church is that we're way too reactive. We are way too triggered. We're allowing the triggers in our life to, uh, to kill our relationships, or at least hamper them or hinder them. And uh, I, was, as I was thinking through this this, this week, it's like there's a few that just kinda stuck out at me, and I'm gonna give them to you quickly and I'm not gonna harp on them, but these are, you know, these are tough words for us, especially if these are things we deal with. But again, we have to be able to see where our challenges are so we know even what to, to bring to Jesus. Because sometimes we can get blinded to our own shortcomings and to our own failures and our own flaws. And I was thinking of some of the stuff that we see in the church, and I'm not talking about New Hope specifically. This is not passive aggressive, where some of you I know have this, and so I'm gonna say it from a stage rather than talk to your face. I wasn't thinking of any human at all when I came up with these. This is more in general what I see in the church and what I, I've dealt with all these myself. So I'm not preaching at you, I'm, I'm, we're sharing this together. But one thing I see is that jealousy is rampant in the church. We see jealousy everywhere and let me tell you, we live in a society where it is beyond easy to be jealous of others because we have more access into seeing what everybody else has than we've ever had because of social media and the internet I mean, social media should be called jealous media because that's what it does. It just, I mean, everybody posts their best stuff and you see it and you think, man, I don't have one of those. I didn't get to go on that vacation. And it triggers you because you are responding to something that you wish you had that you didn't have. And, you know, our natural reaction for the most part when we see people having something we don't have is not to go, wow, I'm really happy for them. That's great. Our natural reaction is to go, well, shoot, I'd like to have that. And the, the more you walk with Jesus, the more you catch that quickly and realize, well, that's not, that's not the attitude to have and you can be happy for others. But jealousy is not something that uh, should be rampant in the church, but it is. And we struggle with that. And it kills relationships, church. It kills them. And it's, it's not a matter of you just saying, I'm not gonna be jealous anymore. I'm just determined I'm not gonna be jealous. There, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, gritting your teeth and trying not to be. It's about learning what it looks like to be content with what God's given you. It's all about depth of relationship with Jesus. It's the only way to combat that in your life. It is the absolute only way to fight against jealousy and win in your life, is Jesus. It's the, he's the only way, but it's but it so prevalent and I think it's hurting us devastatingly in the church. And let me tell you, society sees it. They see that Christians are jealous. They see that Christians are, are nitpicky about things with other Christians in life and also see gossip. The church is actually known for gossip. Christians are known for being gossipers. Now we, you know, we know how to disguise it. We know how to, you know, we start by saying pray for this person. <laughs> and then we say whatever we want to say because I said pray for them. But we don't actually pray for them. We just say that so we sound spiritual. And, and listen, church, this is so devastating because gossip's all about intent. What you're doing is you're trying to tear somebody else down to build yourself up. And it is so easy to do. And it kills relationships. Even the person that you're gossiping with about someone else, it affects that relationship with the person you're even doing it with because whether that person knows it or not, they see and they can't trust you because if you're talking about that person when they're not around, what are you saying about me when I'm not around? And it's a fight. And it's it's all about tearing others down. And listen, again, not pointing my fingers. Two weeks ago, I was in the offices back here and I was talking to somebody in the offices. They asked me a question about somebody else And I had some information that I knew about that person that I just found out, and I started to talk, and I I sensed it quickly. Within a minute, I sensed, oh my gosh, I am totally gossiping. And I said it out loud to this person. I said, you know what? I'm gossiping. I said, I'm done. And I walked away. I literally walked out and walked down the hall because I caught it. But man, how often do we engage in that and just continue to go on and on talking about others? And it is killing the relationships that we have, and the godly relationships that God wants us to have in our life. We have to fight for it, okay? Another one is bitterness and unforgiveness. Now, I'm only going to touch on this because we're going to talk about it more as this month goes along, because you can't talk about relationships without talking about unforgiveness, because it's rampant. It's rampant everywhere, and when we see it in the church, it's extra devastating, because we as Christians know what we've been forgiven of. And Jesus is very clear when we've been forgiven of as much as we've been forgiven of, we have no right to withhold forgiveness to anyone else. But boy, is it everywhere in the church. And you know, probably one of the most devastating aspects of it that I see is Christians being bitter with other Christians for years or decades sometimes, just over the fact that somebody might have left the church that they're part of and gone to another church. And there's this we them mentality, and there's this kind of backbiting, and there's this underlying current of like well they're you know they left and they're not with us anymore so you know they're probably saved but just barely you know we don't like them and then you you see them at Kroger and you do anything in the world to avoid them. you just turn towards the potted meat and act like you're really interested in potted meat all of a sudden and you do whatever you got to do to not have to engage that person and it is I mean it and and I'm making light of it but it is devastating church we are on the same team we are fighting the same enemy If someone goes to a different church, yes, praise God. If someone goes to a different church because that's a better feel for them, God bless them. If that church is preaching Jesus and the cross, God bless them. Our staff prays for the churches in this area every Sunday morning before church because it is not about New Hope. It is about the kingdom of God. And we as Christians, we gotta be able to, man, if I see somebody that that used to be a New Hope that left, when I see people that left when Joy and I took over and there's a good chance they left because we took over, I still go engage them. Like, God bless you, man, it's so good to see you. You know, and sometimes it weirds them out because they're like, well, shouldn't you be mad at me? I left your church. Why? There's 10,000 churches in the CSRA. I'm sure one or two of them's better than ours. (laughs) That's not true, it can't be. Okay, anyway. But we wonder why people are running away from Christianity. Because they see it in the church. They see it. And then I, I want to mention this one lastly, and I know I'm going through these quickly, but it's just really to get you thinking, because as we move on this month, we're going to dive deeper into some of these. But the other one is sexual immorality that is in the church. And um, I, you know, I, I, I say this, I'm walking gingerly here because I don't want to shame anybody, because I know it's not uncommon for us as Christians to have a, a past with sexual immorality and uh, and I'm thankful that none of these things I'm mentioning are unpardonable sins, praise God. None of them are something that we can't be forgiven of. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But the reality is that the church is known for this too. We're known to not wait till marriage. We're known to be just as likely to be divorced as outside of the church. And so we've lost the moral high ground even in relationships. I mean, even, even in this. And so what it does is it affects the standing of the church in society. And again, please understand, I know some of you, many of you in here probably divorced and remarried and, and, if, and didn't wait till marriage, and I'm not, here to, I'm not here to judge anybody, condemn anybody. I've got my own challenges that I've had in this, in this realm myself, okay? So this is not about pointing any fingers. This is about us understanding these patterns that we see and we've kind of accepted as normal, even in Christian relationships, we have to understand that it, the triggers to these things so that we can change this pattern so that we can have godly relationships and so that we can be more effective in our world. That's what it's about for all of us, that we would want to walk in that. that it would be a design in a, in a, and it would be our heart that that would be something that we would live by. You know, this, this whole thing of purity culture is, I mean, if you Google purity culture now, it's nothing but stories of people just ripping it to shreds. And granted, you know, back in the 90s, I grew up in the 90s, 80s, 90s when it, you know, there was a season where it was like, it was, you were shamed if you weren't part of this, and it kind of got off the rails a little bit. But the idea that Christians would be ridiculed in the church for wanting to wait till they're married is beyond the pale. We should be celebrating that all the time. We should be encouraging our young people all the time in that that we would be dedicating our relationships to Jesus and be willing to trust him. And we not only pray that we would be able to be strong, but we would also be practical and set up parameters in our life to help us remain strong in our life. So I say all that because I wanted to just encourage you guys today, just in a few of those things that God's plan for us is that we would live these godly relationships so that we could have pleasure in relationships and also be effective for the kingdom of God. And Timothy, or I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul gives Timothy uh, an, an exhortation in his first letter to Timothy. And I'm gonna read a verse here and make a couple comments about it. I'm gonna close with this. But I want you to see this because Paul was talking to Timothy in his letter about that there's people that, uh, that are proud and conceited and they love strife and they're greedy and they have all these things in their life that they're allowing into their life. And he's telling, Timothy, he's giving him an exhortation about this. In fact, I'm gonna read it in chapter six, verse 11. He says, but you, man of God, and I'm gonna add to that, woman of God, child of God, flee from all of these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Praise God. That's the commission for all of us today, church, that we would fight the good fight. It is worth the fight in our life. He gives us four directives in this. He says to flee. To flee means to run from danger. He says, run from danger, the danger of pride and conceit and and strife and envy and greed and sexual immorality and jealousy and gossip and all those things. He says, flee from it. That means you got to run. You can't just stand there and pray and ask God to put you a wall here so that stuff doesn't get to you. He says, run from it. Flee from it. Be intentional to flee from those things. You know how you, young people, the way you flee from sexual immorality and and doing the things you don't want to do when you're dating is you make sure that you set up parameters to do that. You flee from those things. You run from those things. When you find yourself gossiping, you say, I'm gossiping. And you get that. You get out of there. You get out. And you make sure you are fleeing from those things in your life and not encouraging those things. Then he goes on to say, Pursue. To pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pursue those things. To pursue something means that you are following something in order to catch it. So that means, that means these things are going away from us, and we have to be intentional to go get them. I know that doesn't line up with some of our theology, to think that, that uh, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness are actually running from us, but they are. You know why? Because we have a sin nature. They're not running from us. They're just constantly moving forward, and we get distracted and don't follow, and we don't pursue and we're called to pursue. The only things you have to pursue are things that are running away from you. Just like I had to pursue Joy when we were dating. She was running away from me. Thank God she let me catch her. But we are, we are called to pursue those things in our life. So we flee, and then we pursue, and then he says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Fighting means to have a violent struggle involving the exchange of blows. That's what fighting means. It's a violent struggle for your faith, church. Relationships are going to be a violent struggle for your faith. You see, you have an enemy that also has faith. He has faith that he's gonna steal from you, he's gonna kill you, and he's ultimately gonna destroy you. That's his faith. And so he's throwing his punches, and you gotta make sure you're throwing yours too. Don't sit back and just think, God's just gonna work it out or God, or giving up, but fight the good fight of faith. If anyone has ever told you that your faith is anything but a fight, they lied to you. Because it is a fight every day. When you, when you leave this earth and you see Jesus face to the face, the fight is over. But until that moment, it is a fight. And we have to be willing to have it in our life. And then he finishes by saying, take hold. Take hold of the eternal life. That means to, to seize or to possess it. Hold on to that eternal life that God's given you. Live it out in your life in a way that will honor him and bless him and be a blessing to you in your relationships as well. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I'd like to pray for us today. Next week, I'm gonna talk a little more about the, the biblical principles that can help us uh, in our relationships. But today, I wanna to just pray for us that God would help us to fight the good fight of faith. That's the bottom line today, church. That's the takeaway today is, are you willing to fight the good fight of faith? I'm gonna invite you to come to the altar if you want. You can come up here, we'll pray for you up here, but uh, you could stay in your seat. But one way or another, I need you to respond. To the word whether it's just by closing your eyes if it's lifting your hands if it's kneeling whatever it is let's respond to god's word it matters when we respond when we tell ourselves i'm not just going to stand here i'm actually going to receive this word today and we're giving ourselves to him today thank you lord i want to tell you today if you're here and you don't know jesus as your lord and savior if you're saying man oh this is great, but I don't even know where I'm at in my faith. I, don't, I haven't seized eternal life. I want to tell you today that that is something you can change today in this moment. Salvation is not this mysterious thing. It's actually incredibly simple. It's just knowing who you are and knowing who God is and knowing there's a huge space between you and the only way to get to him is by Jesus. That's it. It's knowing I'm not good enough. You know, the the qualifications to go to heaven are perfection. You have to be perfect. And if you're anything less than perfect, you don't get to go. But the beauty of it is we don't have to be perfect. We can put ourselves inside someone else that is perfect. Jesus, his grace is sufficient for us. When we give our lives to Jesus, we receive his grace, which makes us perfect so we can be with Jesus when we die. That's the that's the only, that's the, that's the qualifications. That's it. Knowing I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And repenting of that sin and saying, Jesus, my life is yours. And and committing to living your life for him the rest of your life. That's salvation. And any one of you can do that. You can do it at your seat right now. You can ask somebody to pray with you. We'd be happy to do that. But don't walk out of here today. Don't turn off whatever you're listening to today without making that call. Because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And he is worth it. He's the best decision you'll ever make. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word, God. Your word is truth. Your word is life to our bones. It is rest for our souls. God, we know that we have fallen short. And Lord, we know that you have given us the gift of relationships. And and even in that gift, Lord, we have failed so many times. We fail over and over and over again. But God, we're thankful today that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you today that when we mess up, when we sin, when we do something contrary to your word or your plan, that when we confess it and we give it to you, that you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we receive that today, Lord, where we have struggled with jealousy or gossip or sexual immorality or, or any of those things, God, where we have fallen short Lord, we receive your forgiveness today, God. We repent of it. We know that we cannot measure up, but God, we want you to invite you into our relationships. Lord, we know that the relationships are practical and spiritual. So God, we invite you in, and we ask you to help us to do the practical parts as well. That God, that you would be glorified in our relationships, God, and that the kingdom of God would be expanded because we are on this earth, and because we are living in healthy, godly relationships. Lord, I pray this month, that you would just challenge us. I pray that you would convict us where we need it and that you would encourage us and help us to live biblical, godly relationships. Lord, we know that it is worth the fight and I pray that it would be worth the fight for us in our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, for each and every one of these people that are here today. We pray your blessing on them in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you.